Well, good morning, church. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke once more. Uh, Luke chapter 21, as our passage today, will be in verses 5 through 38. Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 38 is our text for today. And I just want to say a quick word as just of gratitude to our elders. Uh, these brothers, you know, I have the joy of serving alongside of them and seeing them help lead in services like this, just hearing them pray and encourage you, lead us in confessing of sin through catechism, whatever we're doing, just so appreciative of these men and how they lead you so well. And uh, I'm often humbled by them. I certainly don't deserve to serve alongside of them, but they are gifts to you, and I just want to say a word of public appreciation for them and their families. They are indeed a blessing. If you will now, let's turn our thoughts and our attention to Luke's gospel, picking up in verse 5 as we begin our time together this morning. This is Luke writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults and do not, be a, do not be terrified for these things must first take place but the end will not be at once. And he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, do not, or excuse me, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on in the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that, you are, that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged in the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's pray. Father, we come to this passage this morning, a long passage, a weighty passage, significant, instructive passage. 
We now ask, Lord, for you to help us in it as we consider it, as we think through what it means for the disciples of that day and what it means for us in our day. Lord, would you give us wisdom by your spirit that we may rightly divide the word of truth this morning, that we may rightly apply it to your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are lots of things going on in the world today. John, as he mentioned, even in his prayer, some of them. You think about all that's been going on just in our time, just in the days in which we've lived. Depending on how old you are, you've experienced more than others. But even in the immediate time frame, as we think about the things going on in the Middle East or in Afghanistan or the recent earthquake in Haiti, the hurricane that's about to slam even as we speak into Louisiana today, ongoing persecution that's in the world, the global pandemic, on and on we could go. There are all kinds of things that are happening in the world today that causes us to wonder literally what in the world is going on. When we see, when we watch, when we hear, and even sometimes experience ourselves about the things that are going on in the world, our minds will often wonder what it all could mean. Are these things that we need to pay attention to? Are these signs? Well, certainly we ought to be paying attention to these things. Certainly we ought to be engaging these things with our prayers, with our resources. You think about natural disasters, for example, and the, the, the situation in, in the Middle East and Afghanistan and certain things, certainly there ought to be a response from God's people prayerfully engaging these opportunities even through ministries like Send Relief through the Southern Baptist Convention. But beyond that, do these things warrant some other response from us? Do they mean something more? And if so, how should they impact our day-to-day -day living? Well, these are all the kinds of things Jesus spoke to. These are the kinds of things that in his day and time, as he's preparing his disciples for what they would encounter in the coming years, these are the kinds of things that were happening even then and he wanted them to be adequately prepared to handle them as his followers. We come to Luke chapter 21 today and this passage includes a well-known text that's recorded in the three synoptic gospels, a text we often refer to as the Olivet Discourse. Again, it's also recorded for us in Mark and in Matthew and it's teaching from Jesus that's directed to the disciples that exhorted them how they are to live and persevere amidst persecution and preparing them for what was to come, what was ahead of them. Now, it's a hotly debated passage because of some interpretation challenges that you might find here. The question often becomes, well, what is Jesus referring to? in these conflicts and natural disaster kinds of things. And there's been a variety of different approaches to this passage, three in particular that I think that are often the case. One, one approach is some approach this text and they see it strictly as future. This is all that's gonna happen. All this is gonna happen right before Jesus comes again. Others will look at this text and they will think that Jesus, talking about the temple being destroyed, is referring to an event that took place in AD 70 when Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was destroyed. And that this passage is entirely talking about that. And then there are others who see it as a combination of both, that Jesus is speaking to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70, and yet he's also pointing to a time in the end when the Son of Man would return a second time and bring judgment, final judgment to bear upon the earth. And I'll be honest, it's a challenging text. If you can read this passage and say, it's not hard, by all means, right? Here you go. Uh, we would love to hear uh, from you today. It, it's challenging, but it is clear enough. I think it's helpful to us to understand the context and, and you see exactly what Jesus is getting at. It's clear to me that it does deal with the events of AD 70. That's clear. I don't think you can deny that. 
When you think about the armies that he's speaking about, you think about the wars that are, that are coming about, he's preparing his disciples for what they would face. And so it has to be a reference to some degree to the events that would take place in AD 70 when Rome would come and sack Jerusalem and destroy the temple. So it at least has to deal with that. But when you consider this passage, some things here, but especially from the other gospel writers, there does seem to be also a reference to the coming of the Son of Man, his second coming, in reference to the end of time as well. While it can be a challenging passage to interpret and understand regarding short-term, long-term events, is this a short-term text? Is this long-term? Where are we at here? And you'll see some of the challenges along the way. I think regardless, the overarching point is clear. It's a call for disciples, for Christ followers, to persevere, persevere amidst trials and tribulation as they anticipate the final deliverance to come. question that we're posed with is simply how do followers of Jesus persevere in turbulent and trying times? This passage speaks to that directly, and it highlights five things that we as Christians are called to in light of the trials and tribulations that we face, that we experience. It was speaking certainly to the disciples in their day, setting them up to persevere well, considering the things that they would endure. And I think certainly we learn from that. And as Jesus speaks throughout this text, whether he's referring to the events of AD 70 or whether he's referring to the end and the second coming, all of this is instructive for us as we think about how it is that we're to go about facing these kinds of days, these kinds of trials. So let's walk through these five things that this text highlights for us today as Christians. What are we called to as disciples of Jesus in light of the trials, the tribulations that we face in this world. First and foremost, we are called to discern the times. Verses five through 11, we see how Jesus speaks to this. He sets the context up for us in verses five and six. We're told there, Luke says, while some were speaking about speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. They're just going on and on about the glory of the temple. It was a magnificent structure. It was, it was something to behold, and people would make their way there on a pilgrimage, often yearly, and, and they would, it would be like one of the highlights of their lifetime to come to the temple and to see it. And they were going on and on about it, as we see there in verse five. And then Jesus speaks into that moment. He says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Here they are, they're going on and on about the glory of the temple and Jesus said, it's coming down, it's it's gonna be destroyed one day. And as he says that, the disciples in verse seven, those gathered around him at the time, they asked him, teacher, When will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So you see here that the context is set up for us, that they're going on about the glory of the temple. Jesus says the temple's going to be destroyed and then those around at the time, the the disciples most likely asking, teacher, well, when will these things happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed particularly? And we know from other gospel accounts that the question is set up a bit differently. We know from Matthew's account, for example, that that the disciples asked, when will these things be regarding the temple and when will be the end, the coming of the Son of Man? They they saw this event kind of as as, as really close together, as kind of one big event. The temple of Jerusalem's gonna go down, the end's gonna come, kind of all together. I think we would have probably thought the same thing had we been in there sandals as well. And so you think through that, and that's exactly where our minds would have been. So they saw these things really in close proximity together, if not kind of the same event. And so they're asking, when is this going to happen? When is the temple going to fall? And the very first thing that Jesus says in response to their question is in verse eight, and he said this, see that you are not led astray. 
See that you are not led astray. Don't be taken captive by other things that are going on in the world. And so he begins to prepare his disciples. I think here, in light of what they would experience with the downfall of Jerusalem in the temple in AD 70 when the Romans would come. And he reminds them that they need to be alert to some of the things that were going to happen. There would be false teachers, false messiahs that would come and claim to be Messiah. He says, don't pay attention to them. There would be other things that would happen. Verse nine, you hear of wars and tumults. Do not be terrified for these things must first take place. We know that from historians like Josephus, the first century, that a number of false prophets emerged during this time and did that very thing, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming that the end was near. And Jesus is saying, don't be led astray by these false teachers. Know your Bibles. Understand what God has said. Don't be led astray by them. There were also during this time frame, especially starting in the, in the mid-60s, this is relatively after Jesus' day, semi a time of peace, but, but later on in about the mid-60s, 66 AD, increased conflicts started to occur. And the Jewish revolt that took place in AD 68, culminating in the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, certainly was on the horizon. And Jesus wanted his disciples not to be duped or distracted by any of these things. They needed to be a discerning group who were able to navigate these events, the natural catastrophes that were going to happen, the, the false claims of false messiahs, all of these things that they would experience in their lifetime. Friends, if this isn't speaking to that event, then it makes no sense that Jesus is warning his disciples, the 12, about these kinds of things. So it can't be all future. It'd be a misinterpretation of this text if you think that. It's a present experience that they're going to encounter themselves. He wants his disciples to be well prepared for what they would experience. They needed to be a discerning people. Indeed, the two main things Jesus wants his disciples to, to, to do is not be led astray and not be afraid. Don't be led astray. Don't be taken captive by these events and by these false teachers and do not be afraid when you experience these things. Why? Why does he say they're not to be afraid? Verse nine, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. These things must first take place, and, but that doesn't mean it's the end. It's interesting oftentimes today that Christians will talk about all these kinds of things that are happening, that, that are about to usher in the end, and maybe that will happen before the end. But here in this context, Jesus is saying, listen, when all this goes down, don't be afraid, the end is not yet. Don't be afraid. This, this is a divine must. These things must take place. These things must happen. These things will happen. And when they do, disciples, you need to know that the end is not yet. Despite all the things that are going on around you, despite all of the chaos, despite how things go politically, globally, or whatever the case may be, they needed to understand that God was working out his sovereign plan. Friends, I think that's certainly an exhortation to us, even in our day when we face similar kinds of things. I think Jesus is speaking directly here about the destruction of the temple. But certainly we learn from his instruction because we, we also experience a variety of different tribulations and trials as well in our day. And I think he would say the same thing. These, these, these words would, would hold true for us today, that we're not to be led astray, not to be taken captive by the false teachings of this world, and we're called to not be afraid when we hear of and see and experience these wars and all of the natural disasters that are going on around us today, that we're not to be afraid. Too often Christians are, are carried away this happens. Christians are carried away by false claims. That's how you get cults, right? I mean, they, they, they get wrapped up in these, these groups and, and they, they, 
they, they are led astray. Oftentimes Christians are paralyzed by fear because of what they experience in the world, what they see when they, when they turn on the news. But we're reminded here that we as God's people, as followers of Jesus, need to discern all that's going around us in view of the sovereignty of God and the promises of God and that we may rest in that. We're called to be discerning. The disciples were called to be discerning. Listen, these things are going to happen before Jerusalem falls and you need to be aware that, that the end is not yet. You need to trust that God is working out his plan. These things must happen. So don't panic when they do. Number two, this text reminds us that we are called to endure hardship. Called to endure hardship. Notice Jesus warns his disciples there in the first, up to verse 11 about what they can expect prior to the fall of Jerusalem. But then he wants them to prepare personally for what they would personally experience. In verse 12, Jesus gives an important time marker. He says, but before all these things, these things meaning the false teachers, the conflicts, the natural disasters that would precede the fall of Jerusalem specifically, that the disciples themselves would undergo various trials and persecutions. what he says, but before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. Verse 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you, they will even put to death. You know, Jesus spoke to this in the Gospel of John. This was not the, the first time they would have heard this. They, we know that, that Jesus would often remind his disciples of what they would soon face. John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. So there's an exhortation there, remember. Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus is reminding them, he's preparing them for the persecution that they would experience. And all you have to do is read the book of Acts to see exactly how that happened. The beatings, the arrests, the trials, the persecutions that they endured. What Jesus says here in Luke chapter 21, they would experience directly. Not, even would they face, not, not only would they face various persecutions from the, the Roman government, for example, or from the religious leaders of the day that were opposing Jesus, some of them faced it from their own families. As verse 16 tells us. But what Jesus wants them to understand that despite all of these things that they would endure, they had some promises that would sustain them in it. First of all, let's consider the, the provision that they are promised. Again, Acts records for us some of the difficulties that they would face, and you, you can see accounts of the disciples being arrested, imprisoned, beaten, chased, threatened, on and on we go. But Jesus tells them here they need not worry in those moments, especially when they were arrested and brought before the kings and governors, that they need not worry because it was at that moment Jesus said that they had an opportunity to bear witness to him. They would be given grace in those moments to speak what they needed to speak. You see it, don't you? Settle it in your minds not to meditate. Don't, don't fret yourself on, okay, if this is going to happen, what am I going to do when that happens? What am I going to say? What, you know, I've got to get my act together here. He's like, listen, these things are going to happen, 
but don't worry when they do because God will give you grace in those moments to speak with wisdom. He'll give you a mouth and he will give you wisdom to say what needs to be said. And it's interesting what they will be given to say. He says, you need to see your arrest, your persecutions as an opportunity to bear witness. Notice the text. Verse 12, these things are gonna happen. You're gonna be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. This is part of the plan. This is part of the means which God has ordained for the gospel to go forth is through your suffering, through your persecution, through your arrest, you will then be given an opportunity to declare the glory of the gospel in those moments. This is so helpful to observe. As Jesus assures, think about it, he's assuring them of their harm, <laughs> of their persecution. And as he's assuring the disciples of coming persecution, persecution, he's also assuring them that he would supply their need in the moment. But that need is a supply of words and wisdom, not so they could put up a good defense to be released, but they would be given mouth and wisdom in order to declare and testify to Christ. You just read the book of Acts again and that's exactly what happens. The disciples are arrested, they're giving testimony to the glory of the gospel, and the gospel continues to advance. The Lord will give what is needed in the moment in which it is needed. This is what has happened, not only in the book of Acts, for the countless ages since. It happens even today. Even in the sufferings and persecutions that Christians experience today, the Lord is faithful to give them all that they need, to sustain, to strengthen, to give them all that they need. And it's a reminder that even in the midst of, of these trials and tribulations, God is present to sustain us and strengthen us, to give us what we need in those moments to declare his glory and his favor and his gospel. You know, when we pray for the persecuted church, I know oftentimes we pray for their protection, don't we? And we, we should pray for protection. We don't want our brothers and sisters to be harmed. We want them to be sustained. And if they can escape these kinds of horrible things that they often experience, then yes, let's pray for that. But I think that that's the only thing we often pray for. Lord, help this not to happen to them. Keep them from this and, and kind of keep them safe instead of praying that when these things do happen, give them boldness and courage and a mouth to proclaim the gospel. Many of them will tell you, even in recent weeks, Afghan pastors saying, when you pray for us, pray for us to be able to do just that. To speak of Christ. Friends, it's a reminder to us that God has promised to provide us all that we need in the time in which we need it, even in our suffering and even in our persecution. But not only that, he promises his preservation Verse 17, he says, you will all be hated. You will be hated by all for my namesake. Because you follow me, you're going to be hated by everyone. That carries on certainly today. He's saying that though in light of the disciples and what they would experience in their day. But notice what he says in verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Some of these disciples would be handed over. All of them would be hated. Some of them even killed. But even so, God has promised that he would preserve his people. You recall back in Luke chapter 12, verse four, when Jesus said, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do to you. It's just another reminder here that when they do kill you, not a hair of your head will perish. Yes, they can, and yes, they will kill some of you, but that's all they can do. They might remove you physically from the world, but they cannot eliminate you. Justin Martyr once said this with regards to Christians being killed. He said, you can kill us, but you cannot harm us. 
How does all that make sense? Of course, it's speaking about our everlasting preservation. Yes, they may take us from the face of this earth, but all they do is usher us right into the presence of God where we continue to live with him in the fullness of his presence. In some ways, they do us a great favor. What an incredible encouragement this would have been to the disciples, and certainly as we think about that in our own lives. You're gonna be hated, you're gonna be harmed, but not a hair of your head will perish because I am faithful to provide and preserve you through all that you may face in this life into the life to come. Jesus is equipping them, he's calling them to endure this hardship and he says in verse 19, thus by your endurance you will gain your lives. So stay the course, endure, persevere amidst these things by clinging to these promises that God will give you what you need in the moment and he will preserve you even if they kill you. He will see you faithfully home. Number three, this text calls us to reflect upon God's judgment. Yes, we're called to endure hardship, but we're also called to reflect upon God's judgment. In verse 20 through 24, Jesus specifically speaking here about that event that would happen in AD 70. Again, he's saying to the disciples, he's saying to the people of that day, the contemporaries of the day, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. After warning these disciples of the hard times they would face, Jesus gets back to the fall of Jerusalem here and he's speaking prophetically and predicting the day when Jerusalem would be brought down. He's clear, God's vengeance would come upon this city because of their rebellion and their rejection of the Messiah. It's called a a day of vengeance. A day of vengeance. And it was to fulfill what was written. And as such, he's issuing here a warning for people that would be alive in that day to flee to get out when they could, to flee to the mountains so they might escape the judgment that would come upon this city. Jerusalem was a marked target. A day would come when desolation and destruction would would, would characterize this city. And indeed it did. It would be a day, as verse 23 says, of great distress. Jerusalem would fall. It would be trampled under the foot of the Gentiles. We're told until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's gonna be a long lasting judgment. Again, this is why it must mean that it's a reference to the Jerusalem because this is happening until the Gentiles time is fulfilled, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And you can read more about that in Romans 11 and other places. In AD 70, the Roman general Titus besieged Jerusalem for five months, at which point the Romans broke the city walls, burned the temple, butchered countless people, and took occupation of the city. It's a historical fact, just as Jesus said it would happen. And friends, we're told about this here. What what good does that do to us? We're, We're on this side of that, right? What good is that for us in 2021? That was a long time ago. Why would we even read about it other than in a history class and say, oh yeah, that happened. What's in the scripture, it was a warning and a preparation for the disciples of that day to prepare them for what they would encounter, but it serves for us as a lesson and also a warning. It's a call to reflect upon what happened. Friends, this is not the first time, this is not the first rodeo in Jerusalem, right? It's not the first time that Jerusalem fell. Just go back to 586 BC, it happened then. The Babylonians came to town, wreaked havoc upon the city and took captive most of the population into exile. And now again in AD 70, it would happen too. Why did the city face such terrible demise? Why did the temple fall as Jesus said it would? Because it turned its back upon the promises of God and ignored the day of visitation. Rejected the Messiah, turned its back upon the promises of God and missed that day. 
So why is that important for us? Well, it reminds you what Paul said in Romans 15, 4. Paul said, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is written and recorded and preserved for us in scripture for our instruction that we might have hope. And it's here for us as a warning. The fall of Jerusalem is an important lesson, a sobering warning because it was the epicenter of the nation's identity and religious activity. And it was going to be destroyed and it was. The national story of Israel is a tragic story of what happens to a people, even a people in close proximity to the promises of God, the covenant and all the rest, when they choose to remain in their sin and idolatry and refuse God's promised redemption as it came in the coming of the Messiah. Jerusalem was warned. Indeed, her past history should have been a clear warning. They should have already been warned. Hey, this has happened before, and Jesus is saying it's going to happen again. We should have gotten the word. We should have gotten the lesson, but they didn't. All they had to do is look back to the exile. God judges sin. <laughs> and now, friends, we have this event to consider and look back to as a lesson ourselves. We're called to reflect upon God's judgment and these re records of judgment as Jesus prophesies it here. Historically, we know it took place just as he said it would. And this serves for us as a warning to, 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 to warn us, to, to guard us against apathy and carelessness and, 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 and all the things that would distract us of, away from the promises of God so that our hope would be firm in Christ. And if, again, if it can happen in Jerusalem, of all places in the world, if it can happen to Jerusalem, it can happen right here. If Jerusalem can rebel and be judged for their rebellion, friends, what does that tell us? We need to cling to the promises of God and, and put our hope and what God has said, what he's promised and what he's fulfilled, the promises he makes in the Old Testament and the promise kept in the new. That is where our hope must rest. Which leads me to number four. As we reflect upon the judgment of God, we are called to believe the promise of God. Verse 25 is where much of the discussion takes place regarding well, what is Jesus referring to here. Is this still a reference to the fall of Jerusalem or has Jesus moved beyond that terrible day to a day that Jerusalem's downfall would kind of foreshadow and point to? I think when you read verses 25 through 28, you notice that the language does shift a bit here, going from the specific to the universal. He's speaking now on cosmic terms, fear and foreboding from people throughout the world. And as well, he gives a reference to the son of man coming in power and glory in a cloud. Now, those who believe that that applies to AD 70 see that as figurative language that Jesus came in power and glory to judge Jerusalem. But I do think there is a shift here where Jesus is now saying, but you also asked about the end. And so let's talk about that for a moment. speaking again in these cosmic terms. It's important to remember that in Matthew's account, the disciples ask those two questions. When will these things be? So Jesus says the temple's gonna go down and they ask him, when, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? And in Matthew's account, we, we see there's two subjects in view. They again kind of see that all together as one event. And Jesus is speaking to both. He's saying, when will these things be? Oh, I'm telling you about AD 70. But also now, when will be the sign of your coming? And so I think that's the text now that we, we begin to see Jesus saying and speaking directly to. Jesus had made clear that the disciples should not confuse the two events. Jerusalem's fall and the second coming, they're two different things. I think the one as a foreshadow and a type of the, the greater one to come. So, he speaks to that. He says, like the warning signs that 
would come with the fall of Jerusalem, the end would also have signs that would precede it. It'd be in, you'd see it in the heavens. You'd see it in nations in distress, people cowering all over the world in fear. But friends, notice that when, when Jesus is talking about these things, the powers of the heavens being shaken, the roaring of the sea and the waves, the distress of the nations, his point is do not focus on those things, which so many Christians today do. Drives me crazy. Little pet peeve, I'm sorry. Like they get all caught up in the signs. Oh, this must mean that, mean that. Quit thinking that. Jesus says these things are going to happen. The focus of his exhortation here is that you be faithful when they do. It's not your job to, to dictate when Jesus is coming again and when the end is near. Don't listen to those kinds of teachers. Your job is to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the midst of these things. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to here. He says, be aware of these signs. But his call here to the disciples is in verse 28. When these things begin to take place, strengthen up and raise your heads because your redemption is near. That is what you're called to, friends. It's a call to trust God. It's a call to believe him in confidence. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. The fullness of what God saved you to be and to enjoy is approaching. That is what you're called to as a Christian. Contrast that, by the way, to the fear and the fainting in verse 26 that the people of the world would experience. You see people freaking out and, and paralyzed by fear. Your job, Christian, is to raise up your head and trust the Lord. That's what you're called to. I love what J.C. Ryle said. He said, the very hour that the worldly man's hopes shall perish shall be the hour when the believer's hope shall be exchanged for joyful certainty. That's exactly what we have coming, joyful certainty. We can trust that God will do as he said. This is such an important word for all disciples then and now. Despite all that may be happening in the world, despite the chaos, the conflicts, the natural disasters, you name it. Despite all of this, your responsibility, my responsibility is to raise up our heads and to look hopefully, confidently to Christ. Not trying to, to say, well, this means that and this means that. Friends, stop that. Microchips, come on. Trust the Lord and live for his glory. He's coming again, and you want to be found faithful when he does. Which leads me to number five, the last thing I'll say. We're called to watch prayerfully. He told them a parable. It's a short parable. It's a parable about trees. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. A quick one. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. So he tells this, this parable about trees. He says, basically, just as the trees change their seasons, and you know that the, se the next season's coming based upon how the, the trees change, so it is with the kingdom of God. When these things happen, you know that the kingdom of God is drawing near. The problem verse is not a problem, but the, the text, the verse that trips us up sometimes is at verse 32. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. So that's where we get a little, like, oh, well I thought we were talking about the end and he's talking about this generation. Is that the generation of the disciples? Because if it is, then certainly all of that is in reference to what they would experience. Or does this generation mean something different? Well, when you, use, when you look at that word generation, this generation, it's language that refers in other texts. I think Luke uses the same word like eight times prior, and each time he used it, it's used in a negative sense, in a disparaging type reference, not a good, so this generation is usually not a good word you wanna be part of, right? So it's kind of a, a word that's used to describe a type of people not a particular, not, the, not necessarily the contemporaries of that day and time. Though some make a case for that. But 
I think it does make sense if Jesus is talking here about the coming of the Son of Man and the end, the second coming, that this generation is, is talking to a type of people, particularly those who do reject the Messiah and who remain in their sin. So when he says, truly I say to you, this generation, this wicked generation will not pass until all has taken place, until all of this comes to fruition, there will still be people who, who turn their backs upon the Lord and his promises. Those who will remain in this unbelieving state till the end, who will by no means miss the judgment. And so then the instruction given to his disciples, verse 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness in the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. There's the, there's the word that he's given his people, right? Don't, understand these things will happen and there will be unbelievers. This generation will experience it all the way till the end. But you, followers of Jesus, you disciples, those who are following Jesus when that day comes and all of those beforehand, watch yourself, stay alert. Remain alert that you don't take careless approach to this day to be distracted by indulgence and drunkenness and the cares of this life. He's saying here, don't overindulge yourself with the numbing influences of this life, all the kinds of earthly anxieties that would distract you from the promise of this great and final day. Don't give yourself over to these things. Don't allow this great and final day to be eclipsed by the, the cares of this life whether that's overindulging yourself with alcohol or other substances or just the cares of this life in general. I think it's a, it's a reference here generally to, to live a sober life, be alert, be vigilant, be aware, be in tune to this day and it's coming. The last thing you wanna be found when Christ comes is, is passed out drunk, literally or figuratively, right? You want to be found faithful. You want to be found sober, anticipating, watchful, alert for this moment. He says, for it will come up on all who dwell on the face of the earth. You're not gonna miss this moment. The second coming of Jesus will not be a secret. You will know it when it happens. And so verse 36, but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Watch and pray, stay vigilant. It's not saying that we shouldn't enjoy the things of this life, but they should not consume you and numb you and distract you so that you don't see that day coming. Because that's a call to us. What kind of cares of this life are you being consumed with, distracted by? When was the last time you consciously, with joy, anticipated the coming of the king again? When was the last time you, you just thought, Jesus is coming again, and I wish it was today? It could be. I'm longing for that day. When, when, When's the last time you, you, you live with that kind of joyful anticipation and confidence of that day approaching? Or have you been distracted and consumed by the things of this world that has diverted your attention elsewhere? Brothers and sisters, there's so much from this text to consider. There was a lot these early disciples faced and a lot that they needed to be prepared for. And friends, there's a lot going on in every age and that includes our own day. We, we don't know when it all will come to its appointed end. However, we've been warned and we've been prepared just as the disciples were warned and prepared. Friends, if you're an unbeliever, if you're not a Christian, this text is a clear warning to you that there's coming a day 
when you will die or when the world will end and you will stand before God and give account of your life. And if you're hoping that you do okay on that day because you're a decent person, do not be fooled because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. There will be no person on that day that will stand before God and God will let in because they were good enough to be there. Your sin will condemn you on that day and you will be judged forever because of that sin and rebellion against God. But God in his kindness and grace sent Jesus, the very one speaking these very words to be your redeemer. Just as we confessed in the catechism earlier, what, what, what hope do we have? We have a redeemer. And the reason Jerusalem was judged was because they rejected him. Don't be like Jerusalem. Trust in Christ and in Christ alone, and you will be saved on that day, and you will find joy in your life every day until that day. Fellow Christians, Jesus is calling us here to face trials and tribulation that we will encounter in this life. He's calling us to face it with discernment, with endurance, with reflection, with confidence, and with a prayerful watchfulness. Don't be fooled and don't be fearful. Persevere in hope and Christ will indeed see us surely home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. Though it can be challenging to understand, especially with interpretive things, Father, it's clear what you call us to. It's clear what you called your disciples to. You were graciously, as an act of kindness, giving them warning, and even for us today, showing us what we must be prepared for. Lord, you've not promised to take your people out of the world that they might not experience hardship and difficulty, but God, in the midst of that world, in the midst of a fallen world that is so marred by sin, in the midst of lives that are so marred by our own sin. God, you have given us promises that we may cling to with hope and with joy. Father, would you let this word be a reminder to us, be an encouragement to us, be an exhortation to us. Father, if you need to confront us in our rebellion against you, that we might see our need for Christ today, Lord, would you work that in us? Open blind eyes and give deaf ears hearing today that they may see their need for Jesus and put their hope in him. Lord, for weary Christians, weary of this world, weary of their own sin, weary of their own struggles, weary of the, the sinful impacts that we see all across the globe today in conflicts and disasters and all the rest, Lord, many are weary today. Lord, I pray that this text would be a surge of hope, a reminder that you are faithful and that you have promised and that you will deliver. So God, would you work that in us today and what we need? Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust it. Thank you that it is sure. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.